All right. So we had our men's, uh, it's deer camp. We, we started doing a leadership weekend, uh, for guys that are engaged, involved, plugged in, uh, leading groups. Uh, some have even started doing their own deer camps, uh, either at their churches or even in other parts of the country. So the movement of God is, uh, is spreading. Um, and so it's pretty cool. And of course, Phil was there and like even he showed me a text he'd gotten from somebody that he had sat with and the guy was saying, man, I just, uh, I got, went to the doctor. I've got the flu. It's not good. And I think Phil's just, it's just a hypochondriac. So he just, he reads that and he comes down, he, he gets the flu. Um, and, and I, we kept telling him like on Sunday, dude, you look worse than you feel. It's bad. And obviously, you guys saw that. Uh, yeah, that video might be on your trauma egg when you kind of begin to work with trauma in your life. Um, so this morning is going to be a little bit different. Um, some of you that are new and even some of you that are older, you're probably going to hate this morning. Uh, it, it's like, you know, those times at church when like, you know, stand up and greet somebody and, you know, talk to them or something. And you're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't, I'm, I don't even want to tell you what we're going to do. Cause some of, if anybody leaves, we're going to call you out. Um, but we're actually going to kind of talk about our own wilderness journeys. We're going to break up and do that. So just, just be prepared. I know that that strikes terror in the hearts of men. You mean I'm going to actually have to talk to another man? And then I'm going to have to like talk about real stuff that I don't want to talk about? I mean, you don't have to, but it might do you some good. You ought to try it. So this series, Into the Wilderness, uh, I'm just going to read the preamble. Uh, and then, uh, as always, we have a song um, to kind of get our mind in the right frame. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust Him, He must present us with a moment of crisis. And since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help first. When we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember, Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation, and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust Him in our own wilderness seasons. Let the journey begin. Every time I read something like that, I'm reminded of uh, St. Therese of Avila. Uh, she was a Catholic mystic. Uh, and one of her famous quotes is, you know, God, if this is how you treat your friends... No wonder you have so few. When we're in those wilderness seasons, that's certainly what it feels like. So guys, listen to the 
words, uh, the lyrics are on the back of the sheet uh, as we hear from God through the song. Waking up to a new sunrise Looking back from the other side I can see now with open eyes Darkest water and deepest pain I wouldn't trade it for anything Cause my brokenness brought me to you And these wounds are a story So I'm thankful for the scars Cause without them I wouldn't know your heart And I know they'll always tell of who you are So forever I am thankful for the scars Now I'm sending in confidence With the strength of your faithfulness And I'm not who I was before No, I don't have to fear anymore So I'm thankful I'm thankful for your scars Cause without them I wouldn't know your heart And with my life I'll tell of who you are So forever I am thankful I'm thankful
Amen. Where are you? Are you thankful for the scars in your life? Can you tell that part of your life gladly? Because it was that part of your life that brought you into a real relationship with God? Or maybe you're still bleeding. And you're hiding that part of you that you don't want to talk about. Until we begin to talk about it, until we begin to open up, life's going to be hard. The wilderness season uh, will never end. James 5.16 tells us, confess, tell it, tell your story one to another so that you may be healed. And the bleeding wound becomes a scar. You're broken, but you're mended. I want to just uh, read a piece. Uh, this is from uh, Skip Moen. Uh, he's a Hebrew word scholar. He's a Christian. But he gets into the Hebrew uh, language in a way that I don't think I've ever seen anybody else do. Um. And I get his daily readings. Um, and the verse, this passage uh, is Isaiah 40, uh, verse 3. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Midbar, the Hebrew word for wilderness, is indeed a physical place. But don't miss this. It has a divine purpose. Exodus is a book about the wilderness. It begins with God's miraculous demonstration of redemption, the removal of his chosen people from bondage in Egypt. It doesn't take a theological degree to see that this historical event mirrors a deeper spiritual event, the day when each of us experienced God's personal redemption from the prisons of self-sufficient bondage. God wreaks havoc on the slave masters, eventually overthrowing them with the greatest symbol of substitutionary sacrifice in the entire Old Testament, the Passover lamb. The wilderness becomes God's classroom in obedience. The wilderness is not a very nice place, the first fact about the wilderness is this. It is dangerous, hostile, and completely unresponsive to human manipulation. That, by the way, is why we build cities. We don't like living in the wilderness. We want to live in places where we are in control. We want water when we want it, lights when we want them, food when we feel like it, ease and comfort when we deem it appropriate. And the wilderness doesn't give us any of that control. So we bulldoze over the wilderness and make concrete highways, steel buildings and tile roofs. And in the process, we unlearn the fact that man is not in control. We begin to think that life should be the way we want it to be, not the way it is under the hand of a sovereign God. We feed our self-delusional fantasy that we are self-sufficient. 
course, a hurricane or a terrorist attack causes attitude adjustment. Suddenly, the nature of evil confronts our blind assumptions about control, and we are thrown back into a chaotic state of recalibration. With tremendous effort, we struggle to pull the world back into conformity with our expectations. Sometimes we seem to be successful. It's a tragic mistake. You see, the wilderness is God's home. When we attempt to reconstruct it in our image, we lose a lot more than a hostile environment. We lose the opportunity to trust the sovereignty of our Creator. Five things that a boy needs to learn in order to become a man. Number one, life is hard. Number two, you're not that important. Number three, life's not all about you. And number four, uh, you are not in control. And number five, you're going to die. At our leadership weekend, um, some of you know Tim Atkinson. Um, Tim was a part of Deer Camp community uh, when I first got here and got plugged in. Uh, we were meeting at Lemuria Bookstore, uh, our Monday night group. Um, and uh, I've known Tim now for, I guess, 12 years because I met him just about as soon as we moved back. And uh, Tim has uh, got pancreatic cancer. Uh, we loaded a bus, went up to his house. Uh, about three years ago, and um, and we did patio night uh, on Tim's patio uh, in South Haven, and it was a powerful evening. Uh, we prayed over Tim, uh, anointed him with oil. Uh, we laughed, uh, told stupid stories. Is that's what makes so much of this a lot of fun. Um, and Tim looked like he was going to die the next week. Well, we are three years in, and Tim drove to Prairie Point, Mississippi, uh, to come to our leadership weekend. And so we had Tim share his story. And I don't know of, like, if 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 you sit with somebody like that, that is, I mean, he was supposed to die, you know, twenty five times. Uh, if if you sit with somebody like that, and they have a faith that is real, facing death, the reality of death, uh, and yet talking about how he loves God, trusts God, um, not bitter, not angry. And certainly he's had to work through some of that, but man, it, that's, <laughs> that's a testimony. That's a story. That's powerful. And certainly, you know, fear in like, you know, is he going to suffer? Because that would suck. Um, and then the worst is the people that he will leave behind. But he talks about that openly. And I shared those five things. And uh, Tim said, man, I need to write that down. I want to share that with my son. Especially that <laughs> you're going to die part. 
And so Tim shared, and uh, I told Tim, I said, dude, it is a miracle that you are here. And I said, I'm not talking about the cancer. Tim grew up in an independent, fundamentalist, Baptist church. Now, that'll jack you up. Sorry, that's a fact. And the fact that Tim got plugged in with us at Deer Camp, where we talk about freedom, because he had never experienced that in that religious system. And man, he got a taste of freedom, and he has been a part ever since. And I tell him, I said, the miracle ain't cancer, you know, that you're still here. The miracle is that you came out of that, and you're still around. You love this stuff. That's a miracle of God, to come out of that rigid religiosity and actually experience freedom. Powerful story. So I'm just going to share a little bit about my wilderness journey. Um, some of you have heard it. Um, pull out your iPhone if you have. Um, but just my wilderness story, you know, like doing these leadership weekends that we we just, this is our second one, but we've, we've, we've started doing them up at my brother's uh, camp house. Uh, it's hard to call it that. Those of you that have been there know why, because it, it ain't a camp house. Uh, it is a destination. And um, so we're doing these up there, and uh, it is so special to me because that's where it all began. Uh, he tore down our old house that we grew up in and built this camp house. Um, and so I'm back uh, in the very uh, heart of where the wolf pack uh, started running uh, wild. I had two older brothers. Uh, Robert uh, is five years older. Uh, brother Bill was the middle brother. He's about he's four years older. Um, and so I always tell the story, you know, I was raised by wolves because we were like free range children back in the day, organic, you know, we're, we're way ahead of our time. All that stuff today, man, we were doing that 50 years ago and man, we, we ran the roads and other places and all those great things. And one of the things that happens with Robert there, because these guys have all heard some of my crazy stories growing up uh, at deer camp. And so like last year when they met Robert, they're like, okay, Robert, tell us the stories. Cause they just wanted to verify that I'm just not full of crap uh, that like, that I couldn't make this stuff up and Robert verified. And so usually we do joke night on Saturday night, but everybody's like, we don't want jokes. Y'all just need, y'all tell the stories. So that's what we do now up there. And the stories are funny, um, probably tragic from a counseling standpoint, but they, they are some stories. And so I grew up in that, and it was, I always say it was boy heaven, uh, innocence, uh, a place of innocence. Um, you know, we had a thousand acres that we ran around on and hunted and fished and cows and horses and tractors. And I mean, what else could a boy want? And then tragedy comes. My parents divorced when I was eight years old. 
I always say it's probably a good thing that they divorced because it would have been an axe murder. Uh, my mama was kind of mean. I think she'd have gotten my dad. But thank God they divorced. Um, and then uh, I became part of the wolf pack, and my brothers became my surrogate parents. Now, there's some good in that, and there's some bad, right? Nobody would want to mess with me because, you know, I had my older brothers. And so that was good. Uh, however, I was running with my older brothers and their buddies, and mm, that was bad. And so I won't go into all the details, but just, you know, um, my mother's attitude was boys will be boys. And we had porn on the bedside table. I got exposed to that crap, you know, eight, nine years old. Uh, thank God it was before the high-speed Internet that we have today because I would have been like one of those lab rats that they put in there and they feed them cocaine and they die. Yeah, I'd have just died up in my room, you know, watching porn. Of course. What else? You know, as a nine-year-old, ten-year-old boy, man, that's like you discovered fire. And I tell these young guys, it was like these is this weird thing. It's called magazines. It's got like ink and paper and like you had to look through a thumb. They don't even, that's like, yeah. Because today we have it right in the palm of our hand. Swipe left, swipe right, and you can go to heaven. And that's why it's a plague in our culture today. It's so available. Available, it's accessible, it's anonymous, and it's affordable because it's all free. And it is, it is plaguing our Christian world in a way that I, I mean, you're all men, you probably know, don't want to admit it, uh, but man, if you've got sons, and uh, you better be talking to them, because it's there, and it's real. So I got exposed to that, and ultimately, that became what we know today as a full-blown sexual addiction, wasn't. I always put this in quotes too, just porn. Everybody know those guys? Well, it's it's just porn. It's not really hurting anybody. I can justify that in my head. Dude, it's hurting you. It hurt me. And it's hurt every man that I know that I deal with facing that. It's It eats your soul like battery acid. And mine devolved, spiraled down from masturbation, pornography, uh, strip joints, massage parlors, and ultimately prostitutes. Full-blown sexual addiction. I really, I prefer the term sexual brokenness because sexual addiction, anytime you say that, people think raincoat, playground, you know, pervert. I don't know, just watch the news. Anybody watch the news? You know, about every day, there's some other story about some politician or movie star or somebody that, you know, he's gotten busted and he's going to treatment. <laughs> it's real, guys. And that was really, you know, my wilderness journey. I've had others, uh, but that one started you know, eight, nine years old, uh, I was 27 years old 
when I admitted to Eva that I had a problem with pornography. That was all I told her. Based on that, she loaded up our two little boys. We were living in Atlanta. She leaves, comes back to Mississippi to mom. She didn't know any of that other stuff at that point. Eventually she did, told her all of that in what we call a um, kind of a kitchen table disclosure. We don't recommend that today. <laughs> don't try that at home. It, uh, it ain't going to go well. Uh, you need somebody to walk that, <laughs> walk with you through that. Um, and so based on that, we wind up after two years, we get divorced, which was like tragic for me because I'm beginning to understand the effects of my parents' divorce on me. And I'm looking at my little three-year-old, four-year-old little boys, and I am heartbroken, angry with God. God, it's not supposed to be this way. I came clean. I admitted I didn't get caught. And I had to work through that part of the wilderness. We all do. But that wilderness is a barren place. I was isolated, disconnected. I mean, I had lots of friends, you know, the church friends that we all have that you see on Sunday, uh, your community. Hey, man, how's it going? Great, good, fine. See you next Sunday. I had lots of those guys. Guys at work. I mean, I, I think I'm a likable guy. Some people might argue that point, uh, but I don't care. Uh, but I had lots of those. But the thing I didn't have was a team. I did not have guys that I could share this with, confess one to another. Part of that was my pride. Part of that was my shame. Part of that was acceptance. If you tell somebody that, you're going to get kicked out of the Christian club. Pastors can't tell anything because they get fired. Great article in the Wall Street Journal, by the way, last week, front page story about the church and mental illness, about evangelical churches and what happens to pastors when they admit to, not, not porn, Lord, heaven forbid, depression, bipolar disorder. Several stories in there, these guys that get fired. This is 2020, and that stuff still goes on. Several quotes in that article that they got told, you know, well, you just need to pray harder. Well, you just need more faith. It's a spiritual problem. Dangerous stuff. So it's the idea of telling your story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's why we do deer camp, men's coaching. Uh, part of it is just getting guys to understand you have a story. We all have a story. But do we have somebody that we're sharing it with, that we're processing that stuff with, or we're just walking around in our crazy head alone, isolated, disconnected? It is the practice of intimacy. So, there's three questions on your handout. What is your story of the wilderness? Tell your story. What did God change in you through the wilderness? 
Who do you know that's in the wilderness now? And just like that song, you know, I'm thankful for the scars. And I say all the time, I am so grateful and thankful for my sexual addiction. Holy cow. If it weren't for that, I would not know the heart of God as I know the heart of God. It was in that wilderness where I learned that God is faithful, that He is good, and He's got my best interest at heart. I didn't just hear that in a sermon and go, okay, check. No, that's the process that we all have to go through. Tell your story. So we're going to break up into teams. I don't want to use the word small group. I hate that word. Um, so I would just like, I don't know, four guys, three guys, and uh, we're going to take about, yeah, about 15 minutes and go through the questions. I told you you were going to hate this. One, two, three, go. So guys, let's um, let's pull back together. Um, uh, hopefully you're not done, but hopefully maybe this is giving you a taste for more. So often what happens at deer camp is, man, guys come and they, they feel the connections, they feel the community, and they actually they actually want more. So they begin to show up more regularly, more frequently. And then they'll get in a group with other guys that are moving in the same direction, beginning to go deeper than just surface relationships. So maybe even something like this, for those of you that don't have what we call your SEAL team, uh, life is made of a team. A life team is you and three other men. And if you don't have that, you're in trouble. It's essential. It's critical. So I want to close um, this kind of, you know, my story. And I work with guys. We work, even I work with couples. I work with couples. But, you know, this, this stuff, kind of my story, what I showed, this is, you know, every day working with this. And uh, one of the things we take a couple through, we have a very deliberate process um, of recovery, healing from sexual brokenness, and that takes a lot of different forms in our crazy world today. And one of the things that we do, uh, we have the couple do, um, and I'm just going to use the typical scenario, husband looking at porn, wife doesn't know, hidden in secret, and discovery happens. Or it could be, a, I mean, Fill in the blank, guys. Sexual brokenness in our culture. It's The roots of it are all the same. One of the things we have the couple do is in, in that process is uh, she will write what we call an emotional grievance letter. And she talks about the ways, the hiddenness, the secret keeping, how that has hurt her emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. Because there's a lot more to it than just looking at porn. It affects every part of your soul and those that you are 
closest to your wife, your children, everybody's affected. So she writes out the letter, and then she reads it formally in the session to him, and she gives him a copy. And then he takes the letter, and he goes, and he writes what we call an emotional amends letter. And he's using her words, her phrases, to really connect with the hurt that she feels. This week, had a guy that wrote his emotional men's letter to his wife. And I just want to read parts of it. Um, but this is, this is out of the wilderness. This is part of what that looks like. I'm really starting to understand how my using pornography has affected your life and how it has impacted how you view yourself in our relationship and as a woman. I am truly remorseful that it has changed your view of me as your husband and life partner. But I certainly understand how it has, and I take full responsibility for those poor choices. I'm sorry that this has gone on for years without your knowledge. It is something that I never felt I could share with you or any other person because of my guilt and my shame. I justified it in my mind that it wasn't an issue because there was no crossing of flesh lines. There was no real person. I understand now that it is all the same as I've grown to understand these things better. This is something that started for me a long time ago. I let it become a part of my life that I thought was normal for a man. I understand now that my whole view of love and my thinking was totally distorted. I see now after starting our counseling process that I've carried these traits and expectations all throughout my lifelong relationship with you. I realize now that I was hyper-focused on sex, and I totally understand how that made you feel as if my love was conditional, and that you never felt the true intimacy you were looking for with me. Going forward, I vow to make sure that all aspects of our marriage, both sexually and non-sexually, will be an intimate experience and that you will know that you are loved. It hurts me the most hearing that I have affected, how I have affected you spiritually. I'm deeply sorry that I made you feel like you were alone in your faith and that I did not understand the need for it. I know that God is the most important thing in your life, and I am working daily to make Him the same for me. We have to put him at the center of our marriage for this to work. We're both broken. And without him in the center of our marriage, it will never go well. I know I have failed in many aspects, but going forward, I vow to continue working on my personal relationship with God in order to be a better husband and a better father. 
I understand all of your anger after learning about this long-held secret. As I said earlier, this is something that originated long ago before we ever even met. And I didn't understand what was driving that behavior. And I certainly didn't believe that I could share that with you or anyone else. I'm learning that all those years of hiding it and the shame that I felt was fueling those desires even more. I hate the fact that my actions have caused you to feel our marriage has been a lie. But I understand how it made you feel that way. Please know that I couldn't be any more truthful when I say that I love you. And I want you to know and feel that for the rest of our lives together. I'm very sorry for the scars this has caused for you and our relationship. My beliefs about relationships and love all these years has been a lie. I understand you can't forgive me overnight, just as I can't totally change my behaviors and my thinking overnight. I pray that time will heal your wounds and also make me a better man and husband to you. I do see that the lack of trust is a deeper issue. I want to live the rest of my life regaining your trust and making your life and our marriage more meaningful. I want you to wake up each day knowing that you matter, that you are beautiful inside and out, that God loves you, that I love you, and that I am so lucky to have you as my wife. In conclusion, all of the things I've said in this letter are just words on paper. And I know it may be hard to trust that they are based, that they are true based on my past history. I want you to know that I want the next 25 plus years of our marriage to be heaven on earth for you. I don't want to hurt you and I don't want to lose your trust anymore. I'm really not sure where I would be if God had not put you in my life. I'm so thankful for you and I love you. Please forgive me where I have failed you and let you down. In the wilderness and out of the wilderness, beginning to understand that there's more to life and beginning to live out the good stuff as a great theologian, Kenny Chesney, sang. Let me pray. Father, we are um, so grateful and humbled uh, by the love that you have for us. Um, man, it is oftentimes hard to understand Um we wallow in our shame, um, in our self-righteousness, um, and we judge ourselves wrongly and in turn judge others that same way. But God, we are so thankful that you are the ultimate judge. And certainly Jesus, uh, we acknowledge your presence even here and now with us. And Lord, you promised that you would never leave us, um, even in the middle of our darkest places and wilderness experience, you are there and you will be there. And we hold on to that hope and we hold on to you. 
because you are the way and the truth and the life. We love you. Amen.